They sold all of their possessions and goods and distributed the proceeds to all. Even the literalists don't take that part literally anymore, right? <laughs> so this passage obviously comes from the very beginning of the book of Acts. Scholars will often put Luke and Acts together because many believe that the same person wrote the book of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts, or at least major parts of it. So we're in the beginnings of the formation of what will become known as the Christian church. It isn't yet. As you'll note in the reading, they're praying in the temple. Our little band of Jesus followers are still part of the Jewish community. But we see throughout the authentic letters of Paul and the Gospels, and then in the book of Acts, is this band of Jesus followers are trying to differentiate themselves. Uh, we're still Jewish, but we're this kind. Right? We believe, that it's sort of like... Uh, we're all disciples of Christ, but this church is different, right? So we're all just trying to differentiate ourselves in the midst of all this stuff. So chronologically speaking, um, the letters of Paul come first in the 50s or 60s, right? And then Mark, and then Matthew was written sometime around the 70s or the 80s maybe. And then Luke Acts in like 90 or 100, followed by the Gospel of John in 110 to 130, by the time we get to the Gospel of John, we can see that the followers of Jesus have really tried to draw distinctions between themselves and other people who were Jewish to the point of demonizing those other people. Um, there was another shooting in a synagogue, and um, part of the demonization of people who are Jewish comes from a misinterpretation of the Gospel of John um, and easy readings um, and a lot of blame. So... But here in this part of the text, we read a happy, idealized, wonderfully nostalgic version of what's going on, right? This short little text gives the impression that everybody was happy and going forth with the common good and putting all of their stuff together and living as marvelous examples of what it means to follow Jesus. Right? We will further read in Acts about stories that tell us that this is not necessarily the case. Paul's authentic letters that were written closer to the time of the emergence of this new church revealed that there were discussions about who could eat with who and who can participate in the full life of the church. We have come so far in 2,000 years, right? You've probably heard mentioned before that sometimes things are in the text because the author is trying to get across a point. For instance... You're not going to tell your kids to stop throwing rocks if they are already not throwing rocks. So perhaps the section of this text is reminding people of the very best that they can do. Perhaps the author is trying to remind people of their shared high ideals. After all, Luke writes in his gospel about Jesus healing the centurion's servant. A centurion was a servant in the Roman army. The Roman army was the enforcers of the rules that were so oppressive to the people. And he writes about crowds at Bethsaida and the 5,000 that gathered to listen to him speak. And after Jesus was done teaching, the apostles said, send them away so they can go get something to eat. And Jesus said, no, 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 you feed them. And he writes about the person that we call the Good Samaritan, right? People who were Jewish and people who were from Samaria didn't get along very well. In the parable of the so-called Good Samaritan, 
There's a person who is Jewish, laying in a ditch, nearly dead. And the person who stops by to help is an enemy. It's this parable in which Jesus challenges his listeners to consider who neighbors really are. So here in this section of Acts, Luke may be a little nostalgic for the way things were, or, based on when this was written, the way he was told things were. But this little part of the story is not the entirety of it. I mean, after all, later in Acts, we will read that his followers are arrested, some of them are killed, we're introduced to Saul, right, that great persecutor of all things Jesus follower, who later becomes Paul. When I read this short section of text, the thing that jumps out at me the most is that they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds as any had need. And I'm immediately brought up short because I realize how much, compared to this, I fail. I immediately think back to the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler, right? You know the guy. He comes to Jesus and he says, I've been doing all that stuff that you say I should be doing. I pray, I'm faithful, I do the right stuff, I donate. How can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you're doing a great job. But sell all of your possessions, give the proceeds to the poor, and then come follow me. And then writes Luke, the young ruler goes away sad, for he was very rich. And I think to myself that, if I was the rich young ruler, I would go away sad too, because compared to the rest of the world, I am very rich. Theologian Scott Schaff writes that the New Testament as a whole does not indicate early Christians broadly lived in this radical communal fashion. We don't even find it in Acts outside of the original Jerusalem community. We certainly find concern for the poor and concern about economic oppression in places like Paul's letters, and James, and Revelation. But all of the other indications about Christian living, whether direct or implicit, is that Christians retained their homes and basic possessions. Thank goodness. Right? Let off the hook on that one. It may be that our focus is to drown the giving away of our stuff when the most radical portion of this text is the first line. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. This idea of living in community, of learning, of studying, of sharing, of participating in communion, of breaking bread together, this idea of community and this living in community is what makes all of the rest of it possible. These are the things that are essential to our lives. And with much of the book of Acts, the focus here is on the spirit and how the spirit moves people. The giving of what we have so that others who have, will have no need will become a natural extension of the praying and the sharing and the celebrating together and the worshiping together. The signs and the wonders don't come first. The studying and the prayer and the breaking of bread and the fellowship come first. All of these are how we ensure that we are in fit spiritual condition so that we can extend the message of God's love and acceptance and inclusion into the rest of the world. Following Jesus, believing in God, does not mean that we are all called to drastically sacrifice all that we are. 
Rather, following God means that we offer ourselves to God in the form of prayer and meditation and fellowship and the offering of ourselves to the world so that by our offering, that means the world gets what it needs. It means that the hungry are fed, that the naked are clothed, the excommunicated are brought back into the circle, the sick are healed, and those who mourn are comforted. That we see the possibility of friendship in strangers and that we see the neighbor in one who might otherwise be considered our enemy. These are the signs and wonders. Shane Claiborne is a Christian activist and an author who is a uh, leading figure in this new monasticism movement and is one of the founding members of the intentional community The Simple Way in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm going to show you a video of what they are doing. And uh, this is an example of someone who was called to give everything that he has and live in that Acts-type community.